So let's turn together to Paul's letter to the Romans and chapter 12, Romans chapter 12. The words will also appear on the screen behind me. I'm going to read from the first verse. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. As we started to look at chapter 12 uh, a couple of weeks ago, we saw that this is where Paul begins to draw some practical application from all that he set out in the previous 11 chapters. And in the previous 11 chapters, he has been explaining the gospel. Thrilled with the gospel, don't know how many years by now he's been a Christian, but the excitement of it has not left him. He begins this letter by saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's God's power for the salvation of everyone who believes. He says, that's why I'm so eager to preach this to you in Rome. And before he arrives in Rome, he sends them this letter to just give an outline uh, of what he's going to teach them. He's thrilled with the gospel. He sees in it God's wisdom, how God has planned everything from before he created us. He has known his people right down through the ages, and it all works together for the good of those who love God. He's amazed by God's wonderful wisdom, and that's how he ends chapter 11, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, and he speaks of God's inscrutable judgments and so on. Then what do we do about that? Well, our response is our response to God's sheer magnificence is to say, you deserve everything. It's clearly not appropriate to look at who God is and what God has done and say, I'll give you some spare time if I've got any. No, he says, offer your body as a living sacrifice. You hand yourself over completely to this wonderful God, lock, stock and barrel, everything is his, because he deserves it. He's magnificent, he's wonderful. Look what God has done for us. As we were reminded in that word, there's grace over us continually. What a God. Can't just say, well, great, but I'll carry on with my life. No, my life is yours, Lord. Love so amazing, so divine demands my soul, my life, my all. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. And what does that mean? Well, he goes on to say, stop being shaped by this world. Stop conforming to this world, which will happen unless we stop it happening, because there are pressures all the time to just change the way we believe, change our attitude to things. Things move on. Well, we're not shaped by what the world thinks, but rather transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
So that's what he said, in, uh, and we were looking at that last time. And then in verse 3, which is the verse particularly I want us to look at this morning, he says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. It's very, very easy to maybe just look at this verse by itself, but that would be a big mistake because the verse begins with the little word for. In other words, this is following on and explaining what he has just said. It, this, it, it, it applies what he has just been said. So he is just, what has just been said. So he, he's already referred to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now in verse 3, although the translation obscures it, there are four references to thinking. He says, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, and this is how it could be translated, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but rather think of yourself with sober thinking. So he said, your mind needs to change. Well, what does that mean? Well, how you think about yourself needs to change. Don't overthink of yourself. Don't think more highly than you should think, but think of yourself with sober thinking. Your mind is crucial. This links then with what has just been said. So, no longer conforming. How, no longer conforming to how people normally think about themselves. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Stop being like other people. What does that mean? Well, stop thinking so much of yourself, overthinking of yourself. Don't think how other people think about yourselves. Paul says something very similar to this, expressed in slightly different words, but it's the same idea when he's writing to the Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, he said in, in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Then this version says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, or your mind should be like that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. What Paul is saying there is, we need a new mind. And the mind that we take on board, if we're going to be transformed, is how Jesus thought. In other words, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. So a new way of thinking, transformed by the renewing of your mind, and that means how we think about ourselves. But actually, not just how we think about ourselves, but how we think about other people, because he goes on to say here, in, back in Romans 12, about in Christ we who are many form one body. So in verse 2, he speaks about a renewed mind, in verses 4 and 5, he speaks about being members of one body. And verse 3 is set between verses 2 and 4. So those of you who are taking notes, 
can write down verse 2, uh, verse 3 rather, comes between verses 2 and 4. Then this week when you look at your notes, you think, why on earth did I put that down? But it's important. You don't have to write it down. Verse 3 comes between those two things. And if we just look at verse 3 on its own and miss what's either side of it, we are really missing the point. We need a new mind because we've given ourselves to God. We need a new way of thinking about ourselves and we need to rightly relate with other people. Our view of God, given ourselves to him, our view of ourselves, our view of others. Now, there are three alternatives, it seems to me, common alternatives. One alternative is to just be the center of my world, a high view of me, and maybe a high view of others in that I see other people are there to be my support. I, I'm me and my needs central, other people there to help me. God, well, not really looking at him. A second alternative is to have a high view of God and actually a high view of me. I worship God, I think he's wonderful, and I know his grace upon me, and I know I'm his child, and me and God, we get on fine together, and I don't really need other people. Me and God. What Paul is talking about here is a high view of God, a realistic view of me, and a right view of other people. These verses must be seen together. High view of God a realistic view of me, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but with sober judgment, and a right view of other people. So let's look at it in that order. A high view of God, well, the previous chapter has been spelling that out, the depth of the riches of the wisdom of God. God, incomprehensible. God's wonderful, breathtaking wisdom. And when we looked at those words, we said it's like Paul is looking at some kind of landscape and it just takes his breath away. He's looked at all that God has done through history, his wonderful wisdom, how it all fits together. And he's, wow, just looks, can't, can't take it in. Who has known the mind of the Lord? From him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. And then he says, in view of God's mercies, the mercies of God. That God should love the likes of us. A high view of God. And our response then is to say, I give to God all that I am, all that I do, it's all for Him. That's the only reasonable response. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your logical response. Say, God, I'm yours. The job I do, I do for you. My leisure time is for you. Everything, Lord, it's for you, for your pleasure, because of who you are. It's our response. We, we stop then conforming to this world. We recognize the world is opposed to God, and we're not going to be shaped by the way it thinks. No, we stop being conformed, and we start discovering God's mind, transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you can test and approve God's will. We start to learn how God views things, and we say, it's good. Because God says it's good. That's our response. And that's basic. It is absolutely fundamental that we have a high view of God. 
and that we have, therefore, a good relationship with God. We don't want to be so aware of ourselves and turning to other people for them to help us that God gets missed out. No, a high view of God. God is wonderful. God is amazing. And no one can replace him, and no one must replace him. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying to his heavenly Father. And in John 17, verse 3, he says, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, to know God. This is fundamental. To know him, to be, take, to be overwhelmed by who he is, to take in something of the wonder of what he said, his wisdom. So we need to know him. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. If you're a new believer, yeah, you need Christians around you. Oh, yes, you do. But most of all, you need to get to know God. You need to get time with him. Get to read what he says. This is eternal life. To know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. Earlier in John's Gospel, in chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus said to his disciples, Remain in me, and I'll remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Fundamental relationship with God. People can let us down. We must not, we dare not simply depend on other people. People can let us down. The Apostle Paul, who's writing these words to the Romans, had some experience of that. Uh, His second letter to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse uh, verse, uh, 3... 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, sorry. Um, No, sorry, it's 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. He says, at my first defense, he said, no one came to my support. Everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. Paul says, people let me down. Just when I needed them, the crisis, they all fled. But God didn't. God stood by my side. If our relationship is primarily with people, when people let us down, we're on our own. Hey, God comes first. This is eternal life to know God. A high view of God. Sometimes God will even separate us from other people, not so that we just feel lonely, but so that actually we learn we need God. Time aside just to get to know him, to be with him, to make sure he's the one who is life to us. Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Let to say something to those amongst us who are responsible for caring for other people in whatever capacity. Maybe you're a core group leader, or maybe just in your home, responsible for one another, husband and wife, responsible for children, any caring relationship with other people, let's make sure that we never kind of take God's place. We don't attempt to meet all the needs of those we're caring for. We don't try to replace God. 
Our object, surely, is to see people secure in God. One of the things that Mary got hold of early on in our marriage was just that, to not kind of get in the way of God or replace God. When she saw that maybe I was just feeling kind of sorry for myself, yes, it happens, feeling no one loves me, it's tough, Instead of her just coming there as instinctively she would want to, to say, there, there, or whatever, to recognize, oh, God's doing something here. And there have been times when I've just wanted her to sort of console my self-pity. She's left me for God to do it, because that was what was necessary. I can't build just with my wife. I need to build with God. Likewise, she can't just build with me. If you're caring for people in your core group, they need to rely on God. They need to rely on God and his word. Remember what the scripture says, a very basic thing. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is God-breathed. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. The Scripture teaches, the Scripture rebukes, the Scripture corrects, the Scripture trains. We don't need to take its place. And we need to make sure that those we're caring for, that we actually gently direct them towards God that we point them towards his word. We can feel we've got to meet all their needs, but are they actually turning to God? That's a good question to ask. Someone sort of spills out all that they need, and you think, I've got to help them. Good question is, what are your prayer times like? What what are you reading at the moment in the scripture? (laughs) Oh, well, it's pointless trying to prop someone up who's not feeding on God. No, God comes first. This is eternal life, to know him, to know from him, through him, and to him. Let the truth get into you. Hey, you're built up in God, a high view of God. Then we need a realistic view of ourselves. By the grace given me, say to every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Don't think of yourself too highly, or if it, more literally, although it doesn't make a lot of sense, don't overthink of yourself. Don't hyperthink of yourself. And it's saying, stop doing it. Stop being conformed to the pattern of this world. In other words, this is how people generally are, and unless you stop doing it, this is what you will do. Not that you've got a a massive ego, but rather the most important person in my world is me. And that's bound to be the case because we see things through our own eyes. How things affect us, how we feel about things, how people relate to us, how people talk to us or ignore us. And it's it's inevitable as you come into a place like this this morning, you're instantly aware of how people treat you. Who says hello to you? Who doesn't? Does anyone speak to you? And then if you're brave enough to to mingle socially, do people form a group and leave you out? And we see things 
as, as they affect us. That's normal. It's bound to be like that. But what it's saying here is, hey, don't think of yourself too highly. Don't be the center of your world. Don't say, I'm the most important person in my world. My feelings, my happiness, my acceptance... And that can work either in terms of having an over uh, an inflated view of your own importance. It can also, uh, if, if you think you're rubbish, if you think you're no good, if you wallow in a sense of rejection that really no one likes me, that's still filling your screen. You, either I'm the greatest or I'm just rubbish, I'm stupid, no one cares about me. In either case... I'm the center of my world, my feelings, how people think about me, and so on. And Paul says, that's the pattern of this world. That's what it's like. Paul is writing to the Romans, and actually part of the culture in Rome was to actually honor pride. Pride was regarded as a virtue. Humility was regarded as incredible weakness. It was despicable. And so Paul, right at the start of his letter, must have raised a few eyebrows. He starts off by saying, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. What? A servant? Surely it should be an important leader appointed by Christ Jesus. No, a servant. goes right against the culture in Rome. But it wasn't just Rome. It's today as well, isn't it? It's normal to want to boost your self-confidence, to be more confident you are. You hear people, when they're going through a time of difficulty, maybe saying, I don't have to put up with this. To which the question is, why not? Maybe you do. Maybe God has put you in that situation where, yes, you do have to put up with it. It's where churches get upset by people saying, I don't have to put up with this. And they storm out. Marriages get broken. I'm storming out. I don't have to put up with this. Why not? The world says, you've got your rights. Hey, let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He had his rights. He didn't hold on to them. Made himself nothing. Took the form of a servant. That's the mind that we have. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. It's the pattern of this world. And we, we like our confidence to be boosted. You, you, you sometimes encounter people who are kind of the victim, that's the way I view it, the, the, the victim of kind of ego-boosting prophecies. Because we love the personal prophecies that boost our ego. You know, the kind of prophecy... God is going to call you to the nations. Wow. I see leadership over you. And these things, yeah. And then people have got those kind of prophecies. I'm going to the nations. I'm I'm destined to be a leader. Then you say, as we said at our family night, we're we're having a a cleaning morning. I'm not going to come and clean. I'm called to the nations. Paul says, a servant. I've never actually heard anyone prophesy, I see over you just being overlooked, that you'll always just be one of the crowd. You know, I, I, see, I see averageness. 
<laughs> yes, I take hold. No, the nations. I'm going to be a leader. We're called to serve. I've, I've encountered so many people over the years who are wait, like waiting in the wings of the stage of life. They're waiting to come on the stage, but they're waiting in the wings because they're called to leadership. I've thought about this a lot. I don't, I, I'm not aware that I was ever called to be a leader. You might say, and it's obvious. I do know God called me to serve. And I do know God called me to speak about Jesus, to preach about him and to teach about him. I find myself leading a church. But the distinctive thing in Scripture is called to serve. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Hey, don't wait in the wings. Don't wait for the big break. Don't wait for the nations to open up. Serve. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. But think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. If you have had one of those ego-boosting prophecies, maybe you need to be transformed by the renewing of your mind and get rid of that. Just say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to walk with you. And I'm not looking for, for profile. I'm not looking to be recognized. Lord Jesus, you are despised and rejected. I'm following you. You invited me to take up my cross and follow you. That's what I'm going to do. And if God brings us into something big, well, then we say with Paul, by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. (laughs) That's Paul's position. His grace. I don't deserve this. By the grace given me, I say to every one of you. So sober judgment. We recognize God's sheer mercy. And it says, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith. What does that mean? Do you know, that little expression, the measure of faith, is massively complicated. There are seven possible meanings for the word measure. There are five possible understandings of the word faith. And there are two different ways of looking at the genitive expression uh, of. In other words, there are 70 different ways of looking at this. The measure of faith. Number one. (laughs) There's a severe danger of missing the wood for the trees. It basically narrows down to two possible ways of looking at it. And I'm going to take us one way, which is right. (laughs) The two possible ways of looking at it are to say the measure of faith refers to the faith. And the other way is to say God has distributed, given faith to all of us, and it will vary. Now, many of the modern commentators dislike that way of looking at it, as if the amount of faith given varies. And yet... Actually, it does go on to say that in verse 6. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it in proportion to his faith. There are different measures. In chapter 14, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. So although most modern commentators don't like that interpretation, I do. 
And uh, that's what I'm, the way I'm going to handle it, which is to say, none of us has got all faith. And none of us has got all gifting. None of us has got the whole thing. God distributes to people, which means we need one another. We are dependent on one another, which is precisely what he's going to say. Each of us has one body with many members, and these members don't all have the same function. So in Christ, we who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. There's a measure of faith. I haven't got it all. I can't deny what God has given me. I can't deny what God has done in me. But equally, I can't deny what he's done in my brothers and sisters and what he's given to my brothers and sisters. And I only come to completeness as I'm with my brothers and sisters. We need one another. As I, I worship God. I've got a high view of God. My relationship with God is basic. I'm not, I haven't got an overinflated view of myself, but I recognize what God has given me. But equally, I'm going to recognize what's in others. A measure of faith. Woe betide the solitary Christian. The Christian who thinks they can make it on their own. They and God, that's fine. No, 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 no. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith. I recognize people who are much more gifted than me in so many different areas. And I'm not going to try and pretend that I've got the faith that they've got. But I do know what God has given me. We recognize what God has given us. Don't dismiss it. We're not going to say, I'm rubbish, I haven't got... No, no, no. Sober view, sober judgment. What has God given you? What, what, what has he shown you? Now, we don't just say, well, and that's where I'm going to stay. No, we're not passive. So I want to know God more. I want my faith to grow. I want the sphere God gives me to be extended according to his will. I'm not being passive, but I'm not going to go beyond and pretend I'm more than I am. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith. Why? We need one another. A right view of God and a right view of me will show me I need to belong. We who are many form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. I need to belong. A too low view of God can then cause an over-dependence on other people. No, we're not over-dependent on other people. We see what God supplies, and we see what people supplies, and we see where we, play, we are in the middle. Sometimes we have relationship with God and God speaks to us directly. Sometimes we can be longing for God to speak directly and we realize, hey, I'm missing what God is saying to me through other people. He can speak to us through people. He can speak to us directly. We see in Acts chapter 13, for example, Acts chapter 13, where Paul's whole apostolic role began was in the church at Antioch. There were prophets and teachers, Paul and Barnabas amongst them, while they're worshipping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, presumably through the group, through the prophets and so on, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. 
So Saul launches into his ministry because he's heard something through people. God has spoken to him through other people. But it wasn't always like that. Another time in Acts chapter 27, Acts 27 and verse 24, Paul is on board ship heading towards Rome and uh, a storm blows up and he says, uh, verse 23, last night an angel of the, of the God whose I am and whom I serve stood beside me and said, do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. A direct word from God. So sometimes we will hear God directly. I know God has said to me. Sometimes we think, why isn't God speaking to me? Hey, did you hear that prophecy? Did you hear that thing that came through your brother or your sister? Hear the word of God. We, we need one another. We're part of a body. I've got a measure. You've got a measure. And we really need what God has put in other people. And other people really need you. In fact, it's interesting to see, as Paul speaks about being members of one another, he talks mainly about what we contribute to other people rather than what we get from them. If you find yourself so dependent on others, and maybe sometimes you bewail the lack of support that you're getting, just this morning ask yourself this question, are you too dependent? Are you looking to people for them to do what actually God does? Do you need to just draw back a bit and not see the church as your support group, but see the Lord is my helper. I'll receive help from others, but I also want to give. It's a, a two-way thing. We need a right proportion in this. Now, Paul says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Stop conforming. In our world... Independence is a value. Rebellion is a value. Relating comes hard. People are wary of commitment. People want to stay kind of private. Relationships fail and break up. We see it all around. But it, here it's saying don't conform any longer to that. Start thinking differently. See who God is. See who you are. Then relate on the basis of that. It's not about do they recognize me? Do they recognize my gifting? Do they recognize my need? But am I appreciating them? Am I blessing them? Hey, when you're aware there's a, all these groups of people and no one's talking to you, either you go down the plug hole and you think, oh, no one loves me. Or you look around and say, hey, there's someone else who's on their own. I'll go and talk to them. We reach out. It's about appreciating other people. Paul is going to go on to speak about how the body operates. This is God's, God's way of blessing the world. This is God's powerful way of introducing the gospel to people, introducing people to the gospel. If the church is going to function how it should, if the church is going to be effective and powerful, we need to get these things straight. High view of God, our response to him, our response to his grace is to say, my 
way of thinking needs to change. Stop conforming. Stop making me the center of everything. I'm going to see soberly who I am. My needs, my weaknesses, my strengths. This is who I am. I need God. I need these people. God has saved me to bless these people as well as to receive from them. Fitting ourselves accurately. Now, at the end this morning, we could ask for a response and say, deal with this thing this morning. No, 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 no. It, it, it needs to be dealt with on a daily basis. We can't make a decision today and say, right, I've got it. I've got it. I see exactly where I fit. Everything's going to be different from now on. You'll need to do it again tomorrow. Stop conforming. Don't go on thinking of yourself. It, it trips us up continually. You become the center of your world again. I become the center of my world. I could preach all of this right now and instantly by this afternoon be thinking differently. You could be listening to all of this right now and resolve you're going to be different and it changes by tomorrow. No, it's an ongoing thing. Stop conforming. Be transformed by the ongoing renewal of your mind. And when that happens, then the church is effective. If we are self-centered, our view of God is distorted, our view of other people is distorted. Right at the center of it then is how do I think of me? How do you think of you? And the scriptures, let this mind be in you. That was in Christ Jesus. Hey, that's a wonderful way to think. Because that's Jesus. Think of how he is. Now that, he gives us his spirit so we can be like him. Then we're healthy. And there's wholeness in the life of the church. Let's pray.